Trump's hair, Donald Trump's hair. A girl could get lost in there, way up in there, in Donald Trump's hair. I have to say, as catchy as this is, I kind of preferred the one about the marching in Hillary's parade. <laughs> That was, you know, better. That song too. got retired. I know that's the problem. Well, she'll be running again in four years. Well, maybe I don't that'll think be so. that'll be Chelsea. Hey, good morning, everybody. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this Friday. Doug will triumphantly return on Monday, but meantime, uh, Terry Ray Elmer. Good morning. Good morning, Counselor. Big morning in uh, political news. Yeah, it's uh, like one right after another. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. I think that Donald Trump, uh, you know how sensitive he is. He's a little thin-skinned, skin, and I think he felt that uh, people are criticizing me for not uh, appointing people quickly enough. I mean, it isn't even Thanksgiving yet. <laughs> I mean, George Bush, the younger, he didn't even know he was president till what, the first week <laughs> in December, right. right? So he didn't exactly hit the ground running. <laughs> Hey, we got Steve Kastenbaum, KBC contributor in New York, to help us sort out breaking news on Trump appointees. Steve, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, but boy, are we getting off to uh, a newsworthy morning this Friday. Yeah, tell us uh, what's happening. Well, uh, Jeff Sessions, Alabama senator, has been tapped to be the attorney general in the Donald Trump administration. Now, Jeff Sessions has been very vocal about uh, immigrants and uh, immigrant issues, immigration issues, uh, and illegal uh, immigrants. And he uh, is very vocal on this issue about uh, the wall and all that sort of stuff. But he has a history that Democrats are just going to attack vociferously. Uh, He opposed bipartisan efforts to reform mandatory prison sentences. Now, as you know, this is a policy that's been universally criticized by both Republicans and Democrats for having unintended devastating consequences for poor and minority communities. He didn't want to reform mandatory long prison sentences. He's also one of two people whose judicial nominations were halted by Republicans during the Reagan years, in part because he said he thought the KKK was okay oh dear. Until, he found out, until, they found, until he found out they smoked pot. So. Now, now, in his defense, he apparently he, he said it was a joke. And, you know, actually that does sound like a joke. Kind what of. kind of an idiot would say, hey, the KKK is not so bad, but then I found out <laughs> they like to imbibe in marijuana, you know, before yeah. they, they burn be crosses. Yeah, that's... Uh, is, no, there's another one, though, Steve Kastenbaum. There's another one from the same era in the 80s. Yeah. Reagan wanted to put Sessions on as a federal judge, now, right. and, and the Republicans in the Senate turned him down, not only because of the KKK pot thing, but apparently there was a black federal prosecutor named Thomas Figures who said, yeah. well, Mr. Sessions referred to me as a boy. That, oh. too, was an impediment, and I imagine Democrats with long memories are going to bring that up uh, regarding Sessions now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the reason I brought those things up is because this is exactly the uh, you're going to hear this throughout the day today and in the coming weeks uh, as, as they uh, digest the fact that uh, Jeff Sessions is going to be the top cop in, in the United States. I mean, this is uh, people had thought he might be Secretary of Defense. Uh, I think the Attorney General pick is really going to cause some vocal uh, opposition from uh, Democrats and, and the protesters who are out in the streets. Uh, in cities across the United States. Uh, also, Congressman Mike Pompeo of Kansas has been tapped to head up the CIA. Uh, he's a graduate of West Point, by the way, and he's uh, very close to Vice President-elect Mike Pence. Uh, he helped to prepare Mike Pence for his debate. 
Uh, he's originally from Orange County, California, by the way. Interesting. And, now, do yeah. we know much about Mike Pompeo's background in terms of the intelligence field? I assume yeah. he's he served on committees in Congress right. pertaining to intelligence. Is that the deal? He, he did, exactly. And he rode the Tea Party wave to Congress, uh, and he's been uh, vocal in his criticism of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, and during a, a speech on the House floor following a terrorist attack here in the United States, he accused Muslim imams of being complicit in terror attacks uh, because they didn't do enough to speak out against them. Hmm. Uh, and he, he was essentially uh, accusing clerics who didn't speak out uh, in the U.S. of supporting domestic terrorism. So, you know, these, again, these are the things that Democrats are going to hurl at uh, the, these latest uh, picks within the transition team up at the top of Trump Tower. Okay, so we've got Mike Pompey, who's going to be heading up the CIA. Pompeo, we've got right, Jeff yeah. Sessions, who's going to be Attorney General. There's also Mike Kastenbaum. Uh, talk Steve. about Mitt Romney as uh, Secretary of State. Tell us about that possibility. Boy, you know, this is, this is why some people say you can't trust politicians. So we all remember Mitt Romney just tearing into Donald Trump during the election. Uh, in a half an hour speech, just listing point after point. After point, after point, oh after gosh, point. Called him a fraud? Yeah. I mean, it was some of the harshest criticism of Donald Trump during the campaign. He is now going to meet with Donald Trump over the weekend in New Jersey. Uh, the transition team says, look, not everybody Donald Trump meets with is being considered for a cabinet position. He's yeah, but why in the world would he even be meeting with him other than to say, uh, Mitt, I didn't know, don't know if you're aware, but, you know, the president gets three free murders, and uh, <laughs> you're, you're going to be one. I mean, other than that, <laughs> why would he be meeting with Mitt Romney? I, I don't. Well, this is just like, this well, look, he, met, he met with Mayor Bill de Blasio the other day here in New York, and uh, they don't exactly get along. That's either. true. So, yeah. That's true. He's listening to lots of different people, all right, and 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 that's what a, that's what a president-elect should do, right? He he should be bringing in people whose opinions run counter to his, even if they just you know destroy him in speeches like Mitt Romney did, uh, and and Donald Trump fought back, uh, and and by the way, Mitt Romney graciously accepted Donald Trump's uh, uh, endorsement back in 2012, and look, he's a politician, right? Yeah. And uh, and by the way. You know, you could you could turn this around on, on Donald Trump, who in uh, a 2012 interview on New York One that's been making the rounds uh, had incredibly glowing things to say about Bill and Hillary Clinton. Uh, in fact, he had said back in 2012 that he thought Hillary Clinton uh, would go down in history as one of the most uh, important or something along those lines, uh, women <laughs> in U.S. politics. A little so, awkward. Now, Romney's people, Steve, are saying that he has not asked for any kind of a role in the cabinet, and he's just agreed to meet with Trump to be nice. And he was also, also nice because, Romney. Uh, Steve, he, uh, Romney called and congratulated uh, Trump that. shortly after the election. So th they have been kind of making up. But, but, Steve, there's another quote of note here that, that some of us uh, will remember from the recent campaign. When Trump was going after Romney, he called him a loser, said Romney begged for his <laughs> endorsement in 2012 right. and would have dropped to his knees for it. Oh, dear. And then... Trump said that Romney choked like a dog during the 2012 presidential campaign. So there's some bad blood between these, these two guys. There's some very bad blood, but this is uh, emblematic of Donald Trump, the real estate developer. Real estate is a cutthroat industry in New York at, at the level that Donald Trump deals, deals in. And, and guys at that level, behind closed doors, 
say some extremely horrible things. I mean, that's a reality yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, here in New York. So, and, and then they get together and they make deals. Last so, question for you, Steve Kastenbaum. There's another development, and that is General Flynn. I guess that, that broke yesterday. Uh, Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, he's going to be the National Security Advisor, correct? That's right, and he was uh, very critical of the Obama administration, which he had worked for, by the way. Uh, back in 2014, he was let go. He had been very critical uh, because he believed that the administration wasn't taking the ISIS threat seriously enough. Uh, he had told the panel in Congress that uh, we are not as safe as uh, we were year, a few years earlier, and that uh, and and the he believes that that's why the Obama administration pushed him out. Uh, but the Obama administration said it was uh, his management style and a number of other issues. They said it wasn't because of things he said uh, in Congress. All right. Steve Kastenbaum on the breaking news this Friday morning. Appreciate the report. You have a great day. Yeah. How do you like that? It's not even 9 o'clock. <laughs> I know. It definitely isn't. Thanks, Steve. Okay. 545 the time, in fact, on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Let's see how the traffic's looking with Bill Thomas. Things any better on that 405, Bill? 549 at time. Talk Radio 790-KABC. Good Friday morning to you all. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Got a big show today, T-Ray. We're going to have... We're going to have room for everything. Well, I don't know how we're going to fit it in. we got the breaking news. we got a bunch of cabinet positions being filled by... President-elect Trump. We're going to have Jim Murray of Inside Edition a little later with a really scary story about what happens to to kids. Uh, every year, hundreds of thousands of kids fly uh, unaccompanied. Uh, the parents actually pay hundreds of dollars extra. Uh-huh. And apparently uh, the stewardesses and the passengers and the staff and so on aren't always watching out for the kids' best interests. Some, some very scary stories. So uh, we're going to hear from Jim Moray on that. We're going to hear from uh, Conan Nolan from NBC4 on uh, all the excitement in Washington and so on. One of the things he's going to talk about is uh, we were just chatting with Steve Kastenbaum, Mitt Romney for Secretary of State. I mean, it just seems like we're in some kind of bizarro world when Donald Trump would be would be thinking about making a move like that. I mean, especially since I could see how, okay, you know, all is forgiven. You, you said some terrible things. I said some terrible things. But it's not like Mitt Romney and Secretary of State just, you know, fit together in, in the same breath. Uh, you know, he's a very accomplished guy, but uh, it doesn't seem like— You don't like, think so? No, well, the foreign policy stuff. I mean, yeah. I guess he's a big international businessman and so on. Another issue uh, we're going to get into uh, uh, chatting with a, a law professor, actually, uh, from uh, Georgetown, Paul Rothstein. We're going to talk about the Electoral College. And it seems like there's sort of a, a building interest uh, to, to get rid of the Electoral College as archaic. And I can see how people would say, well, you know what? Uh, there just doesn't seem to be any logical reason to keep it. Yeah, that's the way the founders designed it. But how many times are we going to have the Electoral College spit in the eye of the majority will of the people? Right. Because this is, what, uh, fourth time? I fourth think time. twice I yeah, in the 1800s. Yes. And then the famously Bush 2000, uh, George Bush. But, you know, a lot of folks say the, the founders really had it right. What they figured out is that if you just let the heavily congested urban areas, and then, of course, they weren't that heavily congested, but they still had cities like New York and Philadelphia, but if they are going to be allowed to basically 
call the tune and run the country, then you are going to have a huge uh, amount of people and a huge amount of land mass are going to be totally disaffected. And so, I mean, it is, when you think about it, kind of undemocratic. Wyoming has, what, 400,000 people, right. and they have three, Four, three electoral votes, two for their two senators and one for their one congressman, okay. whereas California has, what do we have now, 35 or 40 million people, and we have... Uh, the electoral votes uh, corresponding to the number of congressmen, whatever it is, you know, 35 or so, plus the two senators. So, I mean, the Senate is really powerful in this nation. You don't get any law passed unless the Senate goes along with it. You don't get any judge approved unless the Senate goes along with it. The Senate tries the the president in, in a trial of impeachment. They have to approve treaties. And the Senate is made up of a group where you have two people from Wyoming, two people from Alaska, two people from California, two people from New York. It is, when you think about it, totally undemocratic. And I wonder how many times we're going to have the popular vote loser before folks are going to advance on Washington with pitchforks and and torches and say, look, let's get rid of this archaic institution. Well, and the argument is, well, we can't have just California and New York electing the president. Yeah, I think that's a good argument. And the other argument is... Whatever the founders came up with 260 years ago or so, whatever it was, the the mix of balance of powers, my God, has this been a genius, enormous experiment, successful experiment in democracy, the best in the history of the world, the most enduring, successful experiment in political science. And I think most people believe it is a result of this mixture of powers. You you don't have any single interest group uh, allowed to run the show. I mean, when you think about it, majority rule isn't all it's cracked up to be. A lot of times the majority comes up with some pretty wacky things. In California, back in the 60s, the majority said, hey, you know, people who want to rent their house should be able to say no to a black person just because they feel like it. Yes. That passed overwhelmingly, and that was majority rule. Do we like majority rule there? No. The Supreme Court had to strike it down. Just because the majority comes up with a, a rule that says, hey, you know, we're going to imprison people, intern people for no reason, or we're going to lock up all the Muslims or not, not let them uh, move around the country because we feel like it. Majority rule isn't always the right way to go. You have to have a balance. You have to have, to have the Supreme Court checking the excesses. So... I think there's genius in the Electoral College. People don't appreciate it because they get bent out of shape because their favorite person loses. But uh, it's, uh, I, think, I think it's here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Hey, the Kings play here tomorrow at 1230 and Sunday at 430 against the Hated Ducks with Nick Nixon and Daryl Evans on the call. It's Kings twice this weekend, tomorrow at 1230 and Sunday at 430 on the home of the Kings, 790 KABC. It's 555 here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks and for Doug McIntyre. Stay with us. Is McIntyre in the morning? With Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. Six oh seven, the time. Talk radio seven ninety K A B C. The place. Good Friday morning to you all. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. So T Ray, we're going to talk about this issue of uh, whether Hillary Clinton should be pardoned, but um, 
Interesting news story uh, out of Ohio. I, I wanted to run by you. I don't know if you've ever heard of anything like this. Uh, the police have uh, arrested a woman uh, for prostitution, and they claim that she wanted nachos for a sex act. Yeah! You, you heard about this? An Ohio woman was arrested in a prostitution sting. She told an un- undercover cop her price for oral sex was $50 and a plate of nachos. <laughs> it was detailed in the Beaver Police Department report. A crystal... Hotlos, age 36, um, offered paid companionship. Uh, she, she goes on to something called Backpage.com. So apparently she's five foot eight, 270 pounds. Oh my. She advertises her escort services online, describes herself as a BBW, big, beautiful woman goddess who is thicker than a Snickers. <laughs> you know, you got to market yourself these days. Is that ad still up? <laughs> I don't know, Randy, but I'll bet Don Draper. I bet Don Draper came up with that. Uh, okay, so she meets the I cop. Eight two hundred and seventy pounds. So she meets the cop in the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant in Beaver Township, which is about thirteen miles south of Youngstown. After entering the undercover vehicle, Hotlos asked if I had any extra money and her nachos. The officer reported. So she uh, she gets the cash. Uh, alas, she had no nachos. Uh, she's then arrested for solicitation. There was a little bonus for the cops, too. The, he also collared a 41-year-old Youngstown man who had driven uh, Hot Lows to meet with him. So I guess he's like a he's like a pimp. Maybe there were drugs or alcohol involved and she had the munchies. That's possible. I don't know. So she's hey, booked into the... girls gotta eat. Yeah. <laughs> so she's booked into the jail. Good girls gotta eat a lot, this one, Randy. She remains locked up on $1,750 bond, and that's it. I just hope... You know what I hope? I hope it's nachos night at the jail, because <laughs> after being cheated... Maybe she can get a bag of nachos Doritos out of the uh, vending machine at uh, jail. I suppose. By the way, have you speaking of Doritos, have you seen those Doritos commercials that they've got online? It's like the top 10 best Doritos commercials that won all sorts of Super Bowl awards. If you haven't, just, just Google Doritos Super Bowl commercials. You have a little time on your hands, huh? Oh, Royal? my God. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a, a wonderful way to spend time. All right. Speaking of time, uh, should Hillary be doing time? Well, you know, that's that's the issue before President Obama. He's got a hard decision to make before January 20. I mean, uh, Bill Clinton uh, took a, a lot of criticism for his pardons of Mark Rich and so on. Can you pardon somebody, though, before they've been charged with any crime? Yeah, good question. And people have been digging into that. And apparently, Randy, the answer is yes. The answer is uh, the Supreme Court had some decisions way back in the 1800s. And you may pardon people before they are convicted, before they are charged. Um, So he's got that option if that's what he wants. And Jesse Jackson is on the stump. He's out there saying we should pardon Hillary Clinton. He calls on President Obama to issue a blanket pardon to Hillary before he leaves office, just like Gerald Ford did for Richard Nixon, because back in the 70s when Nixon was driven from office uh, but never charged with a crime, a lot of folks wanted him as a private citizen to then face criminal charges Mm -hmm. for what he did. And Gerald Ford, within a couple of months after taking office in August 1974, he, he issued the big pardon. He said, you know, the long national nightmare is over, and that's it. And, And folks looking back on it say that's really what cost the um, for the presidency when he ran against Jimmy Carter a couple of years later in 1976. It was a fairly close election, and, and people trace to uh, to the pardon the reason he lost. So 
a lot of people are now saying, well, yeah, you know, why, why wouldn't, shouldn't this happen? And in fact, we hear from Josh Earnest the other day, you know, the White House may be open, at least they're not uh, ruling out the possibility uh, that they will pardon Hillary Clinton uh, at the last minute. Uh, Trump has is now apparently going to announce those three appointments he made earlier today, CIA Director, Attorney General, and National Security Advisor. Oh, so he's going to make it official. Okay, apparently, so we've got yes. Mike Pompeo. Of he's Kansas. going to run the, of Kansas. He's a Republican congressman, been on intelligence committees and so on. He's going to be head of the CIA. Mm-hmm. We've got Jeffrey Sessions, the high-profile senator from Alabama who is going to be Attorney General. Uh, and we've got Michael Flynn, uh, the general, who's going to be national security advisor. And uh, I was reading more about Flynn. He is apparently as avid a tweeter as is Donald Trump. Oops. And he had to ap- apologize for a tweet that he said out in July. It was a retweet that came, retweet, no, that word should be banned. The retweet <laughs> came after Hillary's campaign manager, Robbie Mook, said on CNN that Russia was to blame for hacking the Democratic National Committee. Flynn tweeted, the corrupt Democratic machine will do and say anything to get never Hillary into power. This is a new low. Then he shared a link to a tweet by another user who wrote, CNN implicated the USSR is to blame. Not anymore, Jews. Not anymore. Wow. Well, so you, everybody's got it used to be a paper trail. Now it's a it's a tweet. <laughs> now it's a Twitter it's tra- a twi- trail. Yeah, Twitter trail. Uh, all right. Well, more to, more to come then. I'm sure we're going to be following these stories throughout the morning. Who knows? We may get uh, a few more announcements in terms of uh, the appointees. Uh, and, and, you know, this is Free Speech Friday. And on the yeah. issue of uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, whether she should be pardoned and also if you've got thoughts about these appointees, 1-800-222-KABC if you want to weigh in. I, you know, I think there are, there are a lot of good arguments on both sides uh, about the, the Hillary Clinton thing. In a way, you look to the Nixon precedent and say, well, why not? You know, we gave Nixon a pass. She's about as high profile as Nixon. Why not end the na- long national nightmare uh, about her? The other argument, I think, is, you know, it, it was just seemed so vindictive for Trump to stand up there in the debate and say, you know, if I'm president, you're going to be in jail. With that kind of a, a politically vindictive attitude, some people would say, shouldn't she be f- uh, free from this sort of retribution. But regardless well, of politics, she did, she pretty much did the things they're accusing her of. The pay for plays there, it's all in the emails. She hasn't been charged with anything yet. Yeah, and that's that's the problem. I think a lot of people are going to say, well, look, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, just because uh, we pardoned Nixon and a lot of Democrats, uh, virtually all Democrats would say we shouldn't have pardoned Nixon. You know, does that mean we should pardon her? I don't think well, it would be as disruptive to go through a Hillary Clinton uh, prosecution as it would have been for, for Richard Nixon. Well, some of the re- even some of the Republicans are saying that this is the kind of thing that happens in third world countries when the dictator takes power. He puts the guy. Uh, who ran against him in jail. Yeah, that's true. I mean, on the other hand, though, I think to pardon her sends a message to the politicians, basically, the bigger you are, Mm -hmm. the more certain you can be that you'll never be brought uh, to justice for for what you do. I mean, you know, we we put up with some disgusting results in our society in the name of law. We allow these wacko uh, Baptist uh, crazy people who say, you know, God hates America, God hates homosexuals. We allow them to disrupt military funerals because of the we, we believe in free, free speech. speech we let the Nazis march in Skokie in a Jewish neighborhood because we believe in free speech because we're so interested in the law so if we're willing to do all that then maybe we need to bite the bullet and say you know Hillary Clinton 
if she did something wrong, we don't know what she did wrong. We know all about the server, and so we don't know what might it come out, as you say, Randy, in terms of the, the Clinton Foundation and all the pay-for-play. Who knows what's bubbling beneath the surface? So uh, all, all of those are, are tough questions that uh, President Obama is going to have to face. 6.15 the time, Talk Radio 790-KABC the place. We're going to shift gears right now to be joined by our friend Nyal Stanej. He is associate editor at The Hill, uh, and uh, he's got some interesting thoughts on uh, the whole transition mess. Uh, Nyal, welcome to KABC. How are you? Good, good. Thanks. Good, for, good to be here. Well, gosh, uh, things are happening fast and furious here uh, with a lot of appointments. Maybe Trump has been a little bit uh, uh, sensitive to criticism that, that the transition has been marked by a lot of... Chaotic. Dis- yeah, has been chaotic. What's your take on it? Do you think it, compared to other transitions in recent political history, it has been kind of messy? There are always difficulties in transitions, whoever the incoming president is. Uh, president Obama had some... Uh, difficulties with, for example, Tom Daschle, who was going to lead the health uh, department, had difficulties with his taxes, had to withdraw. But I think that in uh, President-elect Trump's case, those difficulties do seem to have been more uh, chaotic, or or perhaps a better way of putting it is that there seem to be more factional infighting in uh, the Trump transition. I wonder if one reason for the problems that Trump has had is that He's not a career politician. I mean, when you have a guy like Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon uh, to come into power or, uh, I mean, George Bush, they've been around politics, Washington, D.C., all their life. I mean, they know all the players on both sides. Uh, Although Trump's got a bunch of advisors who, who have plenty of experience, basically he's kind of a babe in the woods when it comes to assembling this kind of team. So maybe it wasn't surprising that there'd be some bumps in the road. Yeah, it's a great point. And in addition to the things you have mentioned, Trump ran almost as much against the Republican establishment as against uh, Democrats. He was very much a a so-called insurgent candidate. What that means is that if he tries to staff an administration only through uh, loyalists to him, he he runs out of people quite quite quickly, and so he has to look beyond that. And he doesn't have that many deep connections, as you say, to the to the broader Republican establishment of of likely office holders. We're talking with Niall Stanage, associate editor at thehill.com, and his Twitter handle is at n i a l l s t a n a g e. Niall, let me talk to you about Chris Christie a minute here, and tell me if you think I'm I'm just off base. Is there any other explanation? for all of the making nice between Donald Trump and Chris Christie over the last couple of months. Is there any other explanation other than that Trump was just playing him big time, wanting his endorsement, and then the minute Trump got elected, I mean, Trump's son-in-law's dad was sent away to the slammer by Chris, by Chris Christie. Christie. And this son-in-law isn't just, you know, like, you know, Billy Bob Carter, you know, no. the brother you keep in the attic back in Plains. This guy's one practically... One of the top advisors. Exactly, one of the top advisors. Was there any question but that, but that Chris Christie was going to be thrown under the bus? And, you know, you kind of feel sorry for the bus when that happens. Well, what do you, th- you think I'm off base? I don't necessarily think you're off base. I think that the transition planning that Chris Christie had been doing now looks in retrospect as a uh, like a method to park Chris Christie away from the actual running of the day-to-day campaign. Uh, Jared Kushner, who you allude to, Donald Trump's son-in-law, is obviously no fan of Christie because of the uh, issue with his, his father, Kushner's father. 
So all of that suggests to me that Christie was put out of the way. And that is also revealing because it suggests to me that inside the Trump campaign, they were in fact not all that confident of, of winning. And so they gave the transition to a guy that, that Trump and, and Trump's son-in-law don't particularly seem to care for. Well, but, but, but I thought Trump's whole thing in his business and everything else was about loyalty. And Chris Christie's been extremely loyal to him. He, he has, but I suppose what you have here is, a, in a sense, clashing loyalties between the, the kind of Kushner wing and, mm-hmm. and Chris Christie. Uh, Christie certainly was loyal, did, did a lot of work for Trump on the campaign, endorsed him at a very important time. But it seems from the outside and also from people that we speak with, that Christie just lost the kind of internal uh, power struggle, for want of a better term. Now, with Jeff Sessions being announced as Attorney General, where does that leave Rudy Giuliani? Well, it leaves uh, Giuliani in perhaps some uh, difficulty. There was some suggestion that Giuliani could be considered as Secretary of State, and that does seem uh, somewhat problematic in terms of his uh, business interests and the people he has represented over the years. Mm He could still get that, but otherwise it looks like perhaps a slightly a lower profile post for Rudy Giuliani than he might have uh, expected and hoped for. We're talking with Niall Stanish of The Hill. You know, Niall, the uh, last day or two, there have been some reports that uh, Trump's a little unhappy with, with Rudy Giuliani. You get the impression that maybe Rudy was getting a little too big for his britches, going around saying he wouldn't be attorney general, being very public about his strong opinions about folks getting jobs. I wonder if Trump maybe thought he was kind of being upstaged by Giuliani. Yes, well, as we know, that's a, a, a difficult uh, emotion to evoke in Donald Trump. If, if anyone threatens to do that, he tends to slap them down quite quickly. Uh, I can't remember exactly what job Giuliani was asked about where he said to reporters, maybe me. He was asked whether anyone was better than another choice, and he suggested he himself might be better. Uh, that is not necessarily the kind of comment that uh, endears uh, politicians right. to Donald Trump, and that could be a problem. What about the role of Trump's family members in this transition? I mean, they're going to be insiders. Some of them may get jobs. We hear that the kids want to just get back to work and you know run the Trump empire. Uh, is there a nepotism issue in terms of them having a formal role? And, and aren't there big conflict of interest issues about the Trump uh, administration decisions maybe favorably impacting the Trump business organization? Well, to take the first point first, there are nepotism issues. There are laws within the federal government specifically designed to prevent uh, nepotism, prevent, uh, broadly speaking, the appointment of family members to paid rules. Now, whether the Trump children could get around that by working unpaid is, of course, one uh, possibility. Certainly, this again typifies the fact that this is a very unusual transition where you have the president-elect's children all very much insiders to his campaign, apparently been lined up for some kind of uh, formal position, and I'm sure that that will stir controversy just as other uh, selections already have done. Do you think the press maybe is being a little hard on Trump? I mean, I have the suspicion that the, some in the mainstream media are just still so chapped about Trump winning that they're looking for any excuse to be negative. And I mean, it still isn't even Thanksgiving. I think most administrations don't really get rolling in terms of appointments until until after that. And when you look back at Bill Clinton, for example, my gosh, talk about attorney general issues. He had Zoe Baird. He had Kimba Wood. Oh, and yeah. they both had illegal 
legal nannies, and he had to dump both of them and end up with a third choice. So I, I wonder if people are, are really saying too soon that, that this is a bit of a disaster. Well, it's certainly something that the Trump uh, people, the Trump campaign is pushing back on uh, very much. We've had a number of advisors say that there is not the chaos that the media is suggesting that there is, saying that exactly what you said, that the media is aggrieved by Trump's win and is therefore looking to, to criticize him. I do think that there is a, an, an unusual element of factionalism or internal power struggles within this transition. But your point is well made that, that transitions are not typically flawless or seamless and many people in the past have had their own issues, so it's not it's not unusual for there to be some element of confusion around the time for transition. Mm. Last question for uh, Niall Stanage of uh, the Hill. Blind trust idea. Um, I think Bill Clinton and uh, Jimmy Carter, a few other presidents, uh, put their businesses in blind trust, meaning somebody they don't know and is Jimmy running Jimmy Carter it. pretty much lost his. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe in that that's the answer to my question. Is there is do you think Donald Trump's going to put his empire in a blind trust which as I understand it Rudy Giuliani was saying, "Well, you can't do that. The kids would be out of a job because in the blind trust the kids are not going to be running the show." Is there any talk about that being an option? I think it's a difficult option for this reason. Blind trusts are mainly designed for people who may well be very rich but have a lot of interest in in stocks and investments and things of that nature. You can then hand that over easily enough, relatively speaking, to a financial advisor who decides what stocks to invest in. That seems to me a very different scenario than one where a family has a uh, conglomeration of businesses. I'm not sure how you would hand the Trump organization, for example, over to someone who had no connection to Donald Trump. That, that seems just more problematic on its face. Well, it's a messy situation. Now, Stanage, associate editor at TheHill.com. Thank you so much for sharing part of your Friday with us. Thanks, guys. Right, take care. 625, The Time, Talk Radio, 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, the, the dress that Marilyn Monroe was sewn into for her famous uh, happy birthday speech to John Kennedy, it's gone on auction. And T-Ray, you won't believe what people are paying for that dress. Right now, you won't believe what's going on on the freeway, I bet you. Bill Thomas, fill us in. And get smart. It's McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. Seven oh seven, the time. Talk radio is seven ninety K ABC Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday morning to you all. We're all kind of settling in to the new Trump reality. By the way, one hour from now, caller three at one eight hundred two 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 five two 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 is going to win a pair of tickets to see Sergio Mendes, a celebration of fifty years of Brazil at the Redondo Beach Performing Arts Center on December 9th. Call one eight hundred two 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 KBC. One hour from now to win. Tickets are furnished by RedondoConcerts.com. I am so happy, T Ray, that I got to to read that. You know why? Because when I was here, why is that? When I was here the other day, Tuesday, I guess. Um, I, I read the same thing, and I pronounced it Sergio Mendes. I didn't say anything. Well, the thing is, I've seen Sergio Mendes my whole life. You know, so how could you, I? What happened to your how brain could there, well? Royal. I've been thinking about it for two days. Why <laughs> would I say that? 
and I think of the actress Ava Mendes. Uh-huh. Is that how you pronounce her name? I believe so. Well, you see, I, so I was thinking of her, and then I figured, well, I should Google her. And then, uh, you know, I rented her movies and so on. So basically, I've been doing my homework and figuring out why I called it Sergio Mendes. Have you been seeing a therapist? Uh, I just think I'm going to get it right now. Okay, it's Sergio Mendes. There's a simpler explanation than that, Roy. What's, uh, what's that, right? You're sitting in Doug's chair, and <laughs> Doug gets every name wrong. Now, I think Doug does that for a shtick. You know, he probably, he's no. like a UN you translator. Uh, <laughs> no. It's his other job. No? No. Okay. Um, so we've gotten some intriguing reactions to the Donald Trump uh, election, but I think probably none more intriguing than the, the folks up in San Francisco who are the teachers, who are just uh, the hand that rocks the cradle up there in San Francisco. And to help us uh, sort out their interesting, unique reaction is uh, Harmeet Dillon, a California committee woman for the Republican National Committee. Harmeet, welcome to KBC. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here this morning. Good. Before we get started, do, does anybody ever come up to you and ask, you know, are you related to Marshall Dillon or anything <laughs> stupid like that? <laughs> no, Bob Dillon. I get others like that, but not Marshall. You know, why didn't I think of Bob Dillon? We were just talking about him winning the Nobel Prize. <laughs> why did Marshall Dillon come to, I don't know. to mind? I guess I'm just a James Arness fan. Well, Harmeet, uh, San Francisco Teachers Union, they... Uh, They've offered up a Trump lesson plan, as I understand it, and this is just almost beyond belief. What, what is your understanding of this? Well, the lesson plan is written by a very progressive teacher, and uh, I think the day after the election, um, you know, there was a lot of weeping and moaning amongst liberals here in this town, and she drew up this lesson plan, and uh, it has subsequently been posted on the page of the San Francisco Teachers Union as their featured, you know, front page thing on their website. and. It's a four-page lesson that's really quite shocking because it is a one-sided diatribe against not just Donald Trump being a racist, sexist, Islamophobic, homophobic, every ist and every obic uh, person, but also condemning all the people who voted for him as racist, sexist, etc. And it encourages the teachers to lead students in a you know, serial um, effort where students get up and talk about how they feel and how awful it is and how they feel unsafe. And the teacher is supposed to validate all of that and then uh, encourage them to look at the Michael Moore video that Michael Moore did after the election about how bad Donald Trump was and read an essay about white rage. So it's just a one-sided, you know, horrible screed that, to my mind, is tantamount to child abuse. Wow. And you know, it's amazing. It's almost like California is becoming uh, a caricature of progressivism. And, and with, this, with this really strong, loud voice that was expressed by the American people in general for, for a change, I mean, we just seem like such an amazing outlier. Um, I, I have to wonder, I mean, you're on the California Committee for the Republican National Committee, is there some kind of way forward, some sort of strategy to somehow re-inject the notion of, of the two-party system in California? Because, I mean, it's kind of scary. I was hearing apparently the state Senate has flipped over to the supermajority status. Is it a two-third yes. Democrat majority now? And, you know, once the assembly goes the same way, I mean, it's Katie bar the door. I mean, with every single constitutional officer in California is Democrat. What is the strategy by the GOP to somehow get back in the game in California? Well, I think it's actually the assembly that's flipped and the Senate is still in our hands. Oh, okay. I'm to correct you on that. 
But, yeah, obviously I share your concern. I've been on the party board for many years now. And, first of all, the pendulum does swing back and forth. Second of all, I think that if Donald Trump actually does a couple of things that he's promised doing, like, for example, number one, cutting off federal funding for sanctuary cities, which would affect the majority of the population bases in our town, I think a lot of people are going to reconsider their views because this lawlessness has allowed to go unchecked by our um, government here for a long time, and it's become the new normal. Uh, And so I think there's really no voice counteracting these people. But, you know, it has been eight years of Obama, and now we're going to start to hear some conservative messages from the mainstream media and from what's happening in Washington, and the silent majority of people are going to wake up, I think. And, and so I'm hopeful, actually, that this is good news for California Republicans. But one thing we've been doing in our party has been trying to make sure that we start running candidates who reflect the diversity of our state. We've done that successfully. We have quite a few women and minority candidates who we've run successfully over the last election cycles. And I think we're going to continue that effort to be very representative. And, and um, you know, it's hard work. Uh, but I'm very positive waking up the next day after Donald Trump won the election. We're talking with Harmie Dillon. She is California Committee Woman for the Republican National Committee, 1-800-222-KABC, if you'd like to join the conversation. Uh, when you say, you know, the pendulum swings, well, yeah, it, it traditionally does. That That's certainly the, the big characteristic of, of politics. But, you know, for years, the pendulum has been drifting off to the one direction, and I'm having a hard time finding it on the radar screen. I mean, some people say, gosh, look at what Governor Wilson did. It was a big one-two punch. There was illegal immigration, and there was bilingual education, and we lost the Latino vote, and we went from Republicans being competitive, you know, 55, 45 Latinos, whatever, to, you know, 75, 25, and we're never going to get them back. And it's huge in California. And so I guess some people are saying, look, Trump represents more of the hardcore populism as opposed to traditional social issue conservatism. Is that the lifeline, do you think, that the Republican Party in California might need to to somehow get back into the game? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. And one striking fact about Donald Trump is that the conventional wisdom out of the GOP and out of, you know, moderates in the party and a lot of the leaders in the party was that, you know, we're going to have to uh, bless amnesty as a plank in our platform in order to draw Latino votes. Well, actually, Donald Trump couldn't be any more law and order on the issue of securing our borders than a candidate uh, in, in history. And he won more of a percentage of the Latino vote and, um, you know, than any other candidate has been in the last uh, 12 years. Uh, and on top of that, he was the first uh, Republican candidate to campaign in inner cities and really sincerely campaign for African-American voters. He got a larger percentage of the African-American vote than both McCain and Romney. These are promising signs for messaging for Republicans, and I would urge all Republicans in this state to take a, a lesson from that and set aside their biases about only campaigning to certain segments of the population and really campaigning to represent all, all Californians. 
Today's a kind of a big day. I mean, we, we've heard sort of the, the mainstream media dump all over the Trump uh, folks for, for being in disarray the last uh, week or so. And today we're seeing, boom, we got Jeff Sessions is going to be attorney general. Uh, we've got this fellow Pompeo, the congressman from Kansas. He's going to run the CIA. Uh, we've got uh, General Flynn, who's going to be the national security advisor. Maybe Mitt Romney will be secretary of state. He apparently is going to meet with Romney, will meet with the, the president-elect tomorrow. Are you encouraged or surprised by any of the, the developments you've seen in the in this first week that Trump's been uh, sinking his teeth into this? Not at all. I mean, I think it's been amusing for me to see the mainstream media flipping out uh, and being hysterical over the transition process. And even somebody um, as liberal as David Axelrod pointed out yesterday that at this point in time in the Obama transition, they hadn't hired any of their top uh, cabinet members. And so the pace is normal. The process is normal. The process is deliberate. And, you know, what I like about it is because Donald Trump is an outsider, he didn't come into office or into this position of transition with a bunch of cronies and a bunch of people to whom he owes favors. So I think this is great. I think we're going to see a very diverse and representative cabinet. And I think that the liberal media is going to continue to howl and scream. I mean, you know, let's let's have some sympathy for them because... All of their stories that they had planned for this week, next week, for the next several weeks, they have to throw them out and they have to start, you know, over again because they had planned for a different different ending to this movie script. You know, some people looked at the 60 Minutes interview, uh, Harmeet, and they said, oh, what's this, kinder, gentler uh, Donald Trump, uh, abolish Obamacare? Well, not really. You know, you can stay on your parents' program until you're 26 and uh, pre-existing conditions. Well, we don't, we don't want to uh, deny people because of that. And on immigration, uh, fence uh, wall, well, you know, mm-hmm. part of it will be a fence. Uh, do, do you do you see any kind of softening? I mean, some people are suggesting he was just sort of theatrical and bombastic and pugnacious to get elected and doggone it, it worked, and that isn't necessarily the way he is naturally. Now he's sort of freed up to, to be himself, and maybe we won't see uh, the same kind of Donald Trump. Yeah, I think that's just rank speculation. It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, these are the two examples you mentioned are simply tinkering with details and also a recognition of the fact that it's one thing to campaign on issues. It's another thing, once you're the president-elect and then the new president, to understand that you don't make the laws. You can present an agenda, you can uh, advocate for it, but ultimately the process that we have, which President Obama actually circumvented is, you've got to get the Congress and the Senate to pass those ideas and then you sign them. You don't just you know, sign your own ideas into law around these others. And so... For example, the issues of um, pre-existing conditions and children on their parents' plans, these are some issues that have been floated by Republicans as great um, you know, planks of fixing the broken insurance system before Obamacare came into place. And I think there are ideas that are going to be necessary to sell any kind of health care reform to our legislature and, and also satisfy the people back home. So that's one in terms of fence versus electronic versus monitoring, I mean, again, you know, th- those are details. Uh, you know, I, I trust the president-elect at his word that he's going to enforce our border in, by using modern technological methods. That's fine with me, and I think it's probably going to be fine with most Americans, too. We've been talking about the breaking news today, the various uh, cabinet uh, appointees, uh, and, uh, of course, Chris Christie's name has come up recently. Uh, Trump uh, certainly happily accepted his endorsement, uh, put him in charge of the transition. 
a lot of people are now saying, hey, you know, uh, why would Chris Christie ever think he had a shot since he was the prosecutor who sent up the river the dad of uh, of Donald Jared. Trump's uh, uh, son-in-law. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump's daughter Ivanka is married to Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner's dad was a big real estate mogul in New York. And Chris Christie got him for tax evasion and so on and, and had him set up not to a club fed, but a, a really, really uh, hardcore prison. Why would anybody uh, you know, on the inside there think that Christie had a chance at the Trump uh, administration to have any kind of a significant role? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of this um, stuff has come together in terms of who's making these decisions, really, or it's only emerged publicly at the last minute here. Um, and there, I think there are a number of factors that come into play as to who the president is picking. And one is loyalty is clearly a factor, but who's the best person for each of these jobs? And I would argue to you that a bigger factor for Chris Christie is he was mentioned in connection with attorney generally, the former United States attorney in New Jersey, um, you know, the fact that the guy has had a couple of very close aides uh, convicted of uh, felonies in the last two weeks, I think, has something to do with the fact that maybe he's not the right candidate for attorney general. Right. We talk, we're talking with Harmeet uh, Dillon, a California committee woman for the RNC. Harmeet, we ta- started talking about uh, the San Francisco teachers coming out with these you know, violently anti-Trump lesson plans. Uh, I think there's just this weird irony that a few weeks before the election when Trump was saying, well, I'm not going to commit to accepting the outcome. It might be rigged, you know, who knows? And people were saying on the left, oh, now please, let's be mature. One of the most basic bedrocks of our democracy is you accept the winner and then you just go forward. And now they're just going nuts when Donald Trump happens to win. I mean, the Michigan elector, Michael Benarian, has been telling the press that he's been getting death threats like crazy. Uh, The uh, Fire Department of New York has issued an order forbidding firefighters from hanging pictures of Donald Trump. It seems like there's been this over-the-top reaction against Trump that, that you know, people, uh, people on the left uh, were, were saying before the election. Now, now remember, you've, you've got to respect the system. Yes. I mean, I don't think anybody here on this conversation is surprised that uh, liberals are hypocrites on this issue. Uh, it's disappointing, obviously, but I think people will get over it. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I think there are going to be some things that even people on the far right are not going to like about our new president. I think he actually genuinely intends to govern uh, with a coalition, be the people, be the president of all the people, uh, and that's going to, you know, annoy some people all of the time, pretty much. And so, yes, I mean, again, it's 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 amusing to watch. It's, uh, a little bit concerning here in San Francisco. We have an extreme example, but you know I think people are going to get over it. And I have to say, I thought that the acceptance speech, um, the concession speech by Hillary Clinton was gracious. I thought President Obama's uh, remarks about the new president have been gracious, although telling protesters to keep fighting is kind of a, kind of a, a negative message that he gave out yesterday. Uh, I have great hope for this country. I mean, frankly, I was feeling pretty despondent. Uh, obviously, sometimes here in San Francisco, it, it can be tough, but the election results show me that America, the sleeping America, has woken up and uh, we finally have a chance to turn this place around. Last question. What about uh, the James Comey development? Uh, how big a deal do you think that was 11 days before the election? Hillary on her uh, conference call with her big donors uh, said that killed our momentum. He's the reason we lost. And uh, just sort of secondarily, you think Comey's uh, longed for his job under uh, under the Trump administration? 
Well, his job to take that one is a 10-year appointment. So, you know, I, I generally it's in, considered to be in good taste to resign, um, you know, even if you are in one of those term appointments. Uh, so that remains to be seen. But uh, in terms of costing her the election, what costs her the election is setting up a private email server, destroying documents and lying about it. It's not James Comey. Uh, and so, you know, I think James Comey is a convenient scapegoat for these people. Frankly, I was shocked and disappointed that, you know, in, in the summer that he let her off the hook, given the, given the recitation of the facts and given the fact that we've seen prosecutions of much less egregious conduct than that. All of that said, I don't think it's healthy for this country to keep talking about prosecutions and witch hunts and so forth. I mean, our side won the election, and I think that uh, I'd like to see President, uh, President Trump focus on the future and focus on turning this country around for all the Americans, not settling former scores. All right, Harmi Dillon, California Committee Woman for the Republican National Committee. Thank you so much for sharing part of your Friday with us. My pleasure. Take care. 724 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Were you proud of me, T. Ray, having a, a nice softball question there for, for the Republican National C- Committee woman? Now, was it was it the Comey uh, announcement or something else that led to uh, to Hillary's defeat? What what would your opinion... What do you think it was? Yeah, exactly. Well, I thought she had a pretty good answer. Uh, hey, when we come back, uh, we are going to find out uh, why a, a lady uh, was arrested for uh, D. Why? And I'll give you a hint, it does have something to do with Donald Trump. 725 here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Bill Thomas, how are things looking out there? Are you listening to me? It's Peter Tilton on the next Peter Tilton at 10. What is it you want Donald Trump to focus on first? I'll tell you what Americans want. Apple may move their iPhone manufacturing to the U.S. And guess what? What? Women may swear more than men. Do I look like a f***ing idiot? Really? New study just came out. Peter, you're a stupid f***ing idiot. I cannot listen to this All that and more starting at 10 right here on Talk Radio 790 KBC. 749 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Oral Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you all. So T. Ray, uh, coming from Wisconsin, you probably have had some uh, unfortunate experience knowing that people from Minnesota have drinking problems occasionally. Would you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I can I can vouch for this. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you know it just we, because you know. Compared to Wisconsin people, you're saying? Yeah, sure. I, I'm sure. That we may Wisconsin drink more, people, but we handle it better. Exactly. Than they do. Well, uh, Elizabeth Lundberg, age 33, of Lino Lakes, Minnesota, did not handle it well. She's driving along, and turns out she had four times the legal. Oh, limit. geez, she should have been dead. Empty bottle of vodka in her purse, and here's the Trump tie-in. Cops stop her. After she rear-ends a car at a stoplight, she says, I'm really upset over the outcome of the election, and you should let me go home. <laughs> okay? So they, she fails to the test. She falls over. She grabs the breath machine and breaks it. She breaks the breath machine, but she wants to go home oh. because she was upset about the election. But unfortunately, they, they booked her. Booked her, Dano. Donald Trump's head. Donald Trump's head. So precariously perched up there. 7.50 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this Friday. So, yeah, Donald Trump. uh, Speaking of Donald Trump's hair, I I was reading an article in the Daily Beast right now that there's Mm -hmm. concern that Trump's hair can't survive the wind on Capitol Hill on Inauguration (laughs) Day. (laughs) Wow. Well, he just needs a little gel. That's Uh, all, don't you think? Did you see the criticism of... um, 
Jimmy Fallon for Touching fluffing and mussing yeah, his hair in a in a friendly way. Uh, there was some who who was the person who was writing an essay. They were just blasting him for why. Uh, oh, Ethan Ethan Cohen uh, of the Cohen Brothers. Oh, you know Fargo. Uh, yeah, and so on. He wrote this uh, scathing article, uh, criticizing in a very sarcastic way various people that sort of contributed to Trump's victory. And one of them was Jimmy Fallon because he said it, it humanized Donald Trump. <laughs> what? You know, so you're not allowed to do a softball interview if you're a late night host? <laughs> I guess not. That's well, the interview that he that isn't that when Hillary came on next and he gave her the soft. Or she gave him the softball. Was that the same one? Maybe I think so. so. I think it was. Yeah. You know, the story now is that that this is it really isn't his hair. It's something <laughs> called it's some kind of a Cotton weed. Candy? It's called a it's called a micro cylinder intervention, and it's only performed by one clinic. The clinic is called Ivory International, and that clinic is located where. Inside Trump Tower. No. So he keeps the hair weave guy right on the premises. This could be an impeachable offense <laughs> to misrepresent. <laughs> Fake hair. To re- misrepresent your hair. That's right. But so big, big news. I mean, the, the the we're filling out the cabinet here. Jeffrey Sessions, the high-profile senator from Alabama, is going to be attorney general. Uh, we're hearing now Mike Pompeo, a Kansas congressman, is going to run the CIA. Uh, general Michael Flynn, we learned yesterday, he's running the uh, national security. He'll be the national security advisor. And maybe Romney will be uh, Department of State head. He's going to be meeting with uh, with Trump tomorrow. But I think we have to recognize, T. Ray, the, the man who really uh, made it all possible, no. Anthony, Anthony Weiner. <laughs> Anthony Weiner is, uh, you know, according to Hillary, it was... Uh, it was the email batch that Comey uh, uh, announced 11 days before. And if she the, just goes a little further to why were the emails a problem in the first place, she can blame herself. Yeah, there's that. There's that angle. So the reason Wiener's in the news right now is because, uh, you know, he's got the problem with sex addiction, and he's in sex addiction rehab, and the New York Post tracked him down, mm-hmm. and it's actually a pretty fancy place. It's the Recovery Ranch at Nunnally, Tennessee, and they show a picture of, of him on a horse. He's wearing sneakers. He's got his, his helmet. And they Equine say, therapy. Yeah, they say this horse's ass is getting touchy-feely with a new partner. So that was a little cruel. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kicking him while he's down. So the post says, The perverted former Queen's Paul wore a bright blue riding helmet, green T-shirt, blue jeans, and sneakers. He's saddled up uh, his poor animal and hopped aboard, accompanied by a, a blonde lady. So, But it's a pretty fancy place. According to the uh, website, uh, the uh, Swan Creek House is nestled among rolling hills dotted with mature oaks and maples. It's a 15,000-square-foot home that features warm and inviting living spaces and breathtaking views of the surrounding hills. So this is the, the sex rehab that he's enjoying. They say also situated on the property is a state-of-the-art equestrian center equipped with lights, heated water, and a three-quarter bath, as well as twelve a three-quarter bath for the horses, a wash area, and a vet area for the equine partners. The equine therapy you mentioned, T. Ray, involves caring and interacting with horses in ways that provide valuable lessons in accountability and in how to relate to others. So this is really good. It costs $25,000 for the 35-day program. and uh, Has it, he worked for a living ever since he left the... Uh Probably not, but but the good news here, if funny you mention that, it says here, the degraced dad has to make his own meals and clean up after himself. <laughs> well, I'm glad of that. 
uh, zip lining, hiking, canoeing, rope climbing, and access so to a gym. If he ha- if he can't, oh, of course he's gonna get into a gym. Yeah. He's very proud of that body. You know? Okay, so if he can't have his phone and he can't text and he can't tweet and he can't do anything, <laughs> was he writing letters now? Do you suppose asking for paper and envelopes and stamps? He's, apparently, he's got the same uh, room that New York Governor Elliot Spitzer used to have. So this is a this is a pretty Tony place. I'm sure he'll be fine. Seven fifty four the time. Talk radio seven ninety. K-A-B-C, Royal and for Doug. Stay with us. It's a beautiful morning. To get smart, McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. the time. Talk Radio 790K ABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you, although, uh, according to Bill Thomas, it hasn't been too happy for some folks out on the freeway. Somebody texted me the other day. He said, uh, you know why they call it the 405? Because you're liable to be there for four or five hours. (laughs) When we did our show in Burbank, it took me two and a half hours to get there. Wow. Just uh, the sad thing was, of course, you know, they spent how many years, four years? Widening it. Widening it. Makes no difference. Well, they did a study and it actually, it was worse. It it was from 35 minutes and 14 seconds to 35 minutes and 19 seconds (sighs) after all of that. Now, they blamed it on an increase in population, but I think that's uh, probably a big fat lie. Uh, folks, uh, we are delighted to be joined by our friend Jim Murray. Uh, he is a chief uh, correspondent for Inside Edition. Jim, how are you today? Royal, I am great. I'm better now that I'm talking to you. Well, Aww. it's always it's always fun to yeah, to you get know, your Royal take. I, people people need to know that you and I have a a bromance. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we were talking off the air recently about about Trump and I I wanted to get you to talk in the air cuz when I when I talk to you off the air it doesn't feel real, you know. I think it's only real when when actually when we're everybody on. else is listening yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Kind of a voyeur thing. Yeah, so wow. real, reality is overrated, but <laughs> I, I wanted it to get your overrated. I wanted right. to get your take, Jim. Were you as surprised as everybody else or can you honestly say you kind of saw the Trump thing uh, coming? You know, it's always easy after the fact to say, oh, yeah, I saw the thing coming. I, I did not see it coming. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because like all of us, you know, I was reading these polls and I'm reading these various statements. Oh, there's an 88 percent chance that Hillary Clinton's going to win. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, that's really fascinating because I was at a, I was at a rally in Colorado covering a Trump event a couple of weeks ago. And, and I was really struck by the difference uh, of that rally in person versus what I'd seen on television. Uh, and, and at first I thought, well, maybe I'm just kidding myself. Or maybe, maybe this movement isn't so great. Maybe it's just here at these, at, these, at these rallies that it feels different. But, you know, at work I was saying before the election, I said, you know, a lot of people may be afraid to say they're voting for Trump. Who knows? I just don't know. I didn't have any, any real knowledge that he was going to win, and I think I was surprised, like everyone, when we're seeing the results come in. But... I can't say that it's kind of like a verdict in a case. You never really know until it's over. Yeah, no, it can be a shock. But, you know, it's funny. The Republican ground game was demeaned, and everybody was talking about how terrific the Democrats' ground game was. And I think Obama really did revolutionize it with social media and so on. But that was the prediction. And everybody said, oh, Donald Trump, he's obsessed. He's got such an ego thing. He, lo- he sees the giant stadiums filled with screaming people, and it's got nothing to do with who turns out. But a- a- actually, at the end of the day, according 
according to what people have said in the last week, the Republicans' ground game was pretty darn good, and maybe the filled stadiums, that was just an indication that, yeah, there was this huge groundswell. So, yeah, I don't know if too many people saw it coming, except for that, that well, one L.A. Times well, poll. Obama also said uh, pretty clearly in a rebuke to Hillary Clinton after the, after the race, he said, look, I went to every fish fry, meaning Hillary Clinton didn't go to Wisconsin because maybe she thought it was in the bag. Right. And maybe a lot of people were overly confident. And, you know, it's always easy to look back and say why things went wrong. And it is also interesting to see how many people are now uh, moving to get into Trump's good graces which, you know, I think he values loyalty above just about anything. I know, that's so. the business of, of Mitt Romney meeting with him after what they said about each other. Yeah, a lot of um, good that loyalty issue did for Chris Christie. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's been thrown... He's, yeah, he's I think he attached his... Uh, caboose to the wrong train <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's been thrown under the bus and the and the bus has actually been injured um so we're talking with jim murray a chief correspondent inside edition and big stories you're working on one i know has to do with children flying alone and and apparently i mean hundreds of thousands of kids every year fly solo at, at great expense by the way I, i'm learning from your story tell, tell us what the angle is there well, the angle is that when, when you have a minor that you put on a plane alone and, and you notify the airline and you pay extra to make sure that somebody will monitor them, not sit with them, of course, but, you know, just pay special attention, you think they're going to be safe and you think they're going to end up in the right location and you think that they're not going to be targeted by a predator. And, and the reality is you may be wrong. And, and, and this is not a report that's, you know, supposed to scare you but it's supposed to make you aware that what you think should be done isn't necessarily being done. We, we have, you know, there, there's this one, one girl in, in our report today, 13 years old, and, and she claims that she was uh, molested on this plane. And, and, you know, anybody who's a parent, anybody who has a sister or a brother, anybody, Uh-oh. these kinds of stories. There, there's also a woman, that, I remember reading this, and, and we, you know, we found the woman, uh, who, who put her child on a plane, supposed to end up in, in New York City, ends up in Boston, and you go, well, well, how does that happen? And, and the airline presents her with a child with, yes. <laughs> with, with, her, with her child's passport, but it's not her kid. And they're oh trying to God. talk her into the, oh, yeah, Seriously? this is your kid. Oh, it was, how does I, that happen? I remember reading about so, that. It was amazing. You know, I, I, I do think that these kinds of stories are really important because you don't want to just blindly go and say, oh, yeah, this will be fine. You really got to vet the system. You got to make sure that your kid is safe. You, that the airlines have to do more. Uh, you know, I think parents put their trust in the right places, but perhaps that trust isn't deserved. And it's know? a very scary story because, I mean, how in the world can airline personnel allow this stuff to happen? Because you read every once in a while about these creepy guys that are sitting next to some you know, 12-year-old girl and groping them, and I would think at the first hint of anything growing wrong, the, the, the stewardesses should be boom, right on them, uh, the other passengers would be motivated to alert people, and the fact that, that things like this happen is just really frightening. Well, and here we put it to the test by, by having a, a minor, an unaccompanied minor, on a, on a plane, and we had, uh, we had producers with them and photographed what was going on. Mm-hmm. And you see how easy it is for somebody who shouldn't be sitting next to them to change seats during the flight, hmm. to give them a candy bar, to ingratiate themselves with this child. And you think, wow, if this weren't a test, if this weren't a controlled situation, this could be really frightening. And, 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 you know, by illustrating how easy it is 
to to use the system in a way that that shouldn't be used, right? And and you subvert the system, and you could take advantage of a child. It's just good for people to be aware of this. Well, folks should just tune in to Inside Edition, uh, four thirty on uh, KCAL nine, and uh, uh, with uh, Jim Murray and his colleagues. Jim, I wanted to get your take also on the uh, the Megyn Kelly uh, drama. Uh, do you think that this is kind of a you know a feud designed to pump up the Amazon uh, figures for Megyn Kelly's for new book? book? Yeah, or do you think there's really some bad blood between her and Bill O'Reilly? Because it's kind of weird. O'Reilly going on network morning shows, you know, blasting her, saying you know people should be loyal to their network and so on, and then she has to respond and rebut and say you know it's Roger Ailes uh, that put the network in a bad light. What, what's your take on that? Well, I think there's two issues with Megyn Kelly. There's one the Roger Ailes feud, and two is the Trump feud. And and the issue for Megyn Kelly with her new book, uh, uh, certainly on Amazon, is that Trump supporters uh, have been trolling, basically, uh, her book sales and reviews and posting reviews when they haven't even bought the book or read the book, and, and they're posting these negative, horribly negative reviews, trying to bring the five stars down to a one star, and, you know, so that's a separate issue. I think Bill O'Reilly and, and Megyn Kelly, you know, I think they're, I think Bill O'Reilly really is bugged. Uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly used to, used to uh, anchor Inside Edition years ago, and, and I've, I've spoken to him. And, you know, he's, I think he's a very sharp guy, and I think he, what you see is what you get with him. You know, I, I think he's really bugged. Yeah, you know, he's I actually bugged. think I saw a YouTube deal about Bill O'Reilly <laughs> uh, ho- hosting yes, Inside Edition. I think it had something to do with doing it live. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if we'll anybody, yeah, if anybody wants to Google, do it live with Bill O'Reilly Inside Edition. You know, it's an inside kind of thing. You can see uh-huh. a little. You see uh, how a television show is made. Uh, it, it's fascinating. Now, oh, I remember that yeah, now. No, oh, it, my it's, gosh. It's, it's, if you ever feel down in the dumps, ladies and gentlemen, just Google Bill O'Reilly, do it live on, on Inside Edition. So, Jim... Is that T-Ray I hear? Is that oh, T-Ray yeah, T-Ray is yes. on. She is how on. You, I'm fine, Jim. How are you? <laughs> she's I'm on thinking. She's on duty. So, Jim Murray... Keep, keep royal honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jim Murray, what, do you think that uh, it's likely that Megyn Kelly is uh, off to the races for like 22, 23 million bucks? Because as I understand it, she's making like 15 million a year from Fox. They want to keep her, but she's going to want to go for the big bucks. And the speculation is maybe ABC would be willing to, uh, to pull her in and uh, take a gamble on her boosting their ratings. Well, but you have to look at where you're going to be the most important. I think she is a star no matter where she is. But I think she's clearly the star at Fox. You've got Bill O'Reilly, you've got Megyn Kelly. You know, Sean Hannity would be really upset to hear me say that, but I think she is a star. And I think she could wield a great deal of power at Fox. Um, I think the bench may be deeper at some of the other networks. So, you know, look, that's, that's her choice. Do I think she could get $20 million plus a year? Yeah, I do, actually. And, and uh, you know, she's, she's sharp, she's attractive, she's a lawyer, she's tough. She's got a very high profile. I think this issue with Trump, I think this was the best year of her life. I think she's called it one of the most challenging, and perhaps Mm -hmm. that's true, but I think it's been just the best thing for her. And she handled herself very well. We're talking with Jim Murray, chief correspondent for Inside Edition. i got to get your take on uh, Kanye West. I was a little (laughs) stunned this morning when T. Ray brings in the headline, 
Kanye West supports Trump. And what is he thinking? Oh my gosh! I don't know if you've read about these San Francisco <laughs> teachers. One of them up at 3 a.m. the night after Trump won, she comes up with this lesson plan that basically calls him homophobic and xenophobic and racist. And this is now the official lesson plan for kids in San Francisco. There are death threats, Jim Murray, coming into the one of the Michigan electors who's going to be part of the electoral college. What is Kanye West thinking coming out for, for Donald Trump? Well, you know, Kanye has said he's running for president in 2020. And the most interesting element of that story is not that he says he supports Trump, but he says he didn't vote. So I don't know how valid <laughs> the support is. He didn't vote. It's like it's like Steve Martin in taxes. Remember part of his old routine, you know, how, how to avoid paying taxes. Just you don't pay taxes and then say, I forgot. When right. the, uh, you know, so I, it's probably just a big publicity thing for Kanye West, but why in the world would he want publicity like that? Because I would think a lot of his fans would say, I'm never, I'm not going to buy any more of his vinyl records now that he's uh, supporting <laughs> Donald Trump. Yes, but, but, but there's something that can be said about this. We're now talking about the one person we shouldn't be talking about today, and that's Kanye West. Well, let's talk about somebody we should be talking about, and that's Hillary Clinton. I want to get the Jim Murray view on whether President Obama should pardon Hillary Clinton. Oh I, I, tell, I have to tell you, I have mixed feelings, because totally setting aside what's right and wrong, Jim, which I occasionally do, uh, to, uh, for me to talk about high-profile trials, you know, this would be the ultimate if Hillary were, were on trial. And I imagine it might generate a few Inside Edition stories. So maybe you're not objective either. But uh, w what's your take on whether or not the president should just say, well, you know, anything Hillary or Bill or Chelsea did in connection with the foundation of the server, we're going to wipe that clean with a cloth? Uh, I'm mixed as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, I look back to... Gerald Ford's pardoning of Richard Nixon, and at the time, uh, you know, I think there's no question that cost him re-election, no question at all. And and it was years later, and, and reading number number of stories about Gerald Ford that I think, in his view, he sacrificed his, for even perhaps his legacy and his career for what he thought was the best uh, the best move for the country. I think in this case. It's such an unknown whether or not Donald Trump's administration is going to go after Hillary Clinton. And I think there's so many perils if they do that part of me thinks that, that President Obama should grant Hillary Clinton a pardon just for the good of the country. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it should extend beyond Hillary Clinton to Bill and, and their daughter, Chelsea. I think, you know, because I think the issue is, do you want to go after your political rivals if they lose? Right. That, that, that's the problem for me. And, and I, I think that the country can't endure that. And I think we need to move on, take a breath, and try to make the best of this and see, see how it goes, but not take Hillary Clinton down in the process. So, you know, but, and then the other part of me says, well, wait a minute, if, if you or I break the law, we're, we're not getting a pardon just because, you know, we know the president, Right. Now the other, well, no, you're right. The other guy that might be putting in for a pardon, of course, is Anthony Weiner. And I, I, I wonder if maybe the New York Post uh, scooped inside edition on this. But did you see the Post story about Anthony Weiner's uh, cushy uh, sex rehab? Uh, he's in at an equestrian ranch in Tennessee. It costs yeah. uh, what twenty five thousand dollars for thirty five days. And the post yeah. <laughs> post had a picture of him that was a little like the Michael Dukakis uh, picture in the tank with the helmet. <laughs> hey, let, let's just say Weiner didn't look comfortable atop the horse. Jim Murray, from from your perspective, do you think it was uh, Anthony Weiner that that uh, brought down Hillary Clinton that destroyed her momentum eleven days before the election? I mean, I look, I think it clearly 
uh, changed the momentum, but I don't believe that that alone brought Hillary Clinton down. I think that if you look at what President Obama said, he, I don't think she she believed that Donald Trump was the threat that he was. I don't think she went everywhere she needed to go. I don't think that she presented the proper message to motivate people to vote. You had huge numbers of people, African-Americans. That count was down a million uh, over over four years ago. There were three million fewer Democrats who, who voted. Um, I, I think that a lot of people didn't like either choice, and she unfortunately uh, didn't motivate anybody to to. to to tilt the scales, even though she won the popular vote, that was the wrong vote, right? She, you know, it was the wrong location. So she didn't go to the states where she felt she had a lock. She should have um, gone to a couple of more Friday night fish fries in Wisconsin. I just think uh, she wasn't know, exactly the best retail politician. Hey, Jim, uh, last question for you. I wanted your take on on David Letterman because I saw the most unusual um, interview of him uh, by, I think, the New York Times recently. First, for openers, he looked like Santa Claus. I mean, yeah. he had this... Not even a good Santa Claus, like a bad Santa yeah, Claus. Yeah, like, like a bad Billy Santa. Bob Thornton. <laughs> bad, bad Santa, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's cre- I think it's creepy. Yeah, but I mean, really t- it was just so amazing to me that here's this guy, and of course it, it reminds you of Johnny Carson, on top of the world, leaving on top, he could do two, three, four specials a year, could basically do anything he wants, and is kind of turns into a recluse with a Santa Claus beard. I, I mean, I know that you've bumped into uh, David Letterman in, in your career over the years. Are you surprised that he's kind of following in Johnny's footsteps? Oh, he he worships. Well, I think it takes an extreme amount of class to leave it on top and leave it at that. That's tough. That shows you put your ego aside. He did something amazing. He, he, I love David Letterman. I've always. I've always thought he was my favorite. Uh, you know, I respect that a great deal. It's tough. It's tough for those of us who are in, in media. You know, we're in it in part, let's face it, for ego. He put that aside and said, uh, you know, I've done what I've done, and I'm fine with it. The beard thing is a little strange. You know, I mean, I, I do think that <laughs> I <don't get> uh, it. <laughs> maybe he's going through something right now, but I, I have nothing but respect for David Lennon. He's Lennon. going I really, through something. Well, I, just, <laughs> I just hope he gets back well, on TV. Are you going to grow a beard when this thing <laughs> goes away? I'm thinking about it. You know, it's a possibility. Hey, Jim Murray, Inside Edition Chief Correspondent, uh, thank you for filling us in on this uh, story about kids flying alone. We will be tuning in at 4.30 p.m. at KCAL 9. You have yourself a great weekend. Thank you, too. Bye-bye, Timo. Bye. Take care. 824 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. He, uh, he didn't take too well to you dissing uh, Letterman. No, you're right. I, one <laughs> of his heroes. Yeah, that, that's a hot button. Hey, when we come back, uh, Marilyn Monroe's dress, the famous one that she wore when she sang Happy Birthday to John Kennedy, is gone on auction, and you will not believe what it fetched at the auction. So stay tuned for that. 825 The Time. Talk Radio 790K ABC. Bill Thomas, how are things looking on the roads? Are you listening to me? It's Peter Tilton on the next Peter Tilton at 10. What is it you want Donald Trump to focus on first? I'll tell you what Americans want. Apple may move their iPhone manufacturing to the U.S. And guess what? What? Women may swear more than men. Do I look like a f***ing idiot? Really? New study just came out. You're a stupid f***ing idiot. I cannot listen to this. All that and more starting at 10 right here on Talk Radio 790K ABC. 29 to time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. We'll get to that uh, Marilyn Monroe story, but uh, T-Ray, we've got breaking news. Marla Maples, Marla Maples, 
Donald Trump's second wife, yes. you know, was spotted at Trump Tower the other day, and people were saying, what the heck? Why is she there? I mean, she bugging him about late alimony payments or who knows what? Well, it turns out she wants to be an uh, ambassador. Are you kidding an me? An ambassador somewhere in Africa. Somewhere? And we're not sure that she's aware that Africa is more than one country, but apparently <sighs> she and little Tiffany have been visiting there, and she's volunteered, and she's trying to pull strings to get a position there uh so, you know, in addition to Mitt Romney as Secretary of State, it kind of kind of makes you think of that famous um, Mariah Carey quote. She was quoted in an interview years ago. She says, when I see, watch TV and see those poor starving kids all over the world, I can't help but cry. I mean, I'd love to be skinny like that, but not with all those flies and death and stuff. So that's Mariah Carey. I wonder if Marla Maples... <laughs> Is basically in the same kind of situation. Oh my God! By the way, on the Marilyn Monroe deal, it's pretty remarkable. The dress that they, she was sewn into, it went for four point eight million dollars at an auction in Los Angeles. Uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, bought it. So, so you it's can, staying, it's you, staying in town. Exactly. Get on the Hollywood Boulevard. You can see it. Eight thirty. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety K A B C T Ray with a headline. <sighs> what time is it? Time to get smart. It's McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. Nine oh seven, the time on a Friday morning. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Doug will be back on Monday. Free Speech Friday. One eight hundred two 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 K A B C. If you'd like to weigh in. But right now, we are delighted to be joined by our friend Conan Nolan. He is chief political reporter for NBC4. Good morning, Conan. How are you? Very good, Royal. How are you? Doing fine, thanks. And uh, my gosh, uh, a lot of uh, political news swirling around. And uh, I know, of course, you're a host of, uh, of news conference um, on uh, Sunday mornings at 9 on NBC4. And as I, as I understand it, you're going to get into, of course, uh, among other things, the possibility of maybe Mitt Romney being vetted for, uh, oh for Secretary of State. Conan, how in the world can Romney have a spot on the cabinet or, or even <laughs> enter Washington, D.C. after what he said about Trump a few months ago? Well, keep in mind, this is, uh, yeah, um, it's not uncommon for people to have buried the hatchet after saying mean things. Right. Although in in the in this case, it's it was above and beyond. I I don't I don't recall anybody. <laughs> it was harsh. <laughs> it it was it was amazingly harsh. But it speaks it you know it's a nice gesture if it, even if it's just that it's a smart move on the part of Donald Trump because it makes a point. It says uh, the campaign's over, then governing begins, and so now I'm focusing on uh, on who would best be able to advance the uh, advance the cause of American, in this case, foreign policy, uh, as opposed to trying to win a state, uh, trying to win a nomination. So it actually sends a sign of maturity if, if that's all it is, and it may just be window dressing. Yeah, but I thought his big deal was loyalty. <laughs> Romney certainly isn't and has not been loyal to him. Uh, true. Uh, I think the loyalty comes with the true, true inner circle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although I, the the problem that uh, the the governor of New Jersey had, Chris Christie, was that he happened to prosecute uh, the yeah. father of uh, Donald Trump's son-in-law, which uh, kind of yeah. uh, was one of the one of the issues. Cons- I mean, talk about dumb luck. <laughs> um, but I, but I, you know, I think a lot of people thought because uh, Mitt Romney is a guy who's very smart. 
Uh, he's conventional. is a little bit of the, uh, yes, he's definitely Republican establishment. And keep in mind, he's not talking about a domestic policy uh, guy. He's talking about foreign policy. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a difference. You can make a, a, a pick like that, it would seem to me, uh, that's the, with a guy who's never been loyal, far from it but still get away with it. Yeah. Well, you referred to Trump making a point. It seems to me he's made the point several times from from the very beginning, from his victory speech, which everybody praised as being really gracious, talked about how strong Hillary was and what a great campaign she ran, to then the next day or two he's at the White House with Obama, and he looks deferential, he looks almost awestruck. Uh, and then he goes on 60 Minutes, and basically he, he kind of soft lines the you know two huge parts of his campaign instead of we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare as well I'm going to keep the idea you can keep your kids till they're 26 and you know pre-existing conditions that's okay and as for the the wall well it'll be a fence or partly a wall I mean it seems like he's going out of his way to soften his image uh, true but it also may be uh, you know a, a guy who you know really didn't expect a win frankly I mean this is right. a dog catching the bus <laughs> and uh, and once he's um, uh, once he's faced with uh, becoming leader of the free world, then he starts, he needs to get real. And he, I think he does that sort of overnight. Uh, there's a concern, I can tell you, I think a, a few people that I talk to, uh, big Donald Trump supporters, that he will be sort of like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember him. Uh, when he went to Sacramento, he came, went as a populist, you know, repeal the car tax. Uh, then he went on the ballot with four or five ballot measures that were part of the Republican agenda. And after he got shellacked in the election, then he flipped and became a Democrat, you know, on the cover of Time magazine with Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. as, the, uh, as the green governor. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a concern. It's always been a concern, I think, with Donald Trump that he, he, he reflects that the crowd that he's in the room with. Uh, and so now in Washington, he's in with a different crowd. And, and, you know, who knows? Maybe this is all calculated. This is all part of him, uh, you know, trying to calm the nerves of, a, uh, of one part of the country that is extremely concerned, if not, I mean, just downright worried. Uh, but, it's, but it's an interesting sign, that's for sure. It's far different than what we expected. We're talking with Conan Nolan, NBC4 chief political reporter. You can see him as host of News Conference every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. on NBC4. Conan, you mentioned uh, Chris Christie. You tell me if I'm just being cynical here. But... Uh, the, the history of Christie putting in prison the dad of Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner being married to Ivanka, daughter of, of Donald Trump. Don't you think that Donald welcomed Christie's involvement and endorsement in order to win the election, put him in charge of transition even before the election, but then threw him under the bus after he won, you know, knowing that, that he was going to get rid of the guy? I mean, am I being too cynical here? You know, it's a good question. I have obviously I have no idea, but I actually think the cynicism is on the part of Kirshner, uh that uh, he he all along uh, thought that this was going to be the trajectory of Chris Christie's career with Donald Trump. Right. Use him because you know, frankly, he didn't have many uh, surrogates at the time. Uh, but once uh, you know, if if things actually come to pass and you actually win the election, then he's gone. He's done. He's bad. He's he's damaged goods. Uh, so and and remember what Chris Christie did, you know he followed the law. He was a young chief prosecutor for the U.S. Attorney's Office, but that had to be really a traumatic event for uh, young Jared Kushner uh, to see his father go to prison. Sure. So that's not the kind of thing yeah. you you forget about quickly.
You're going you're to have Congressman Xavier Becerra on your show Sunday, and boy, he's got to be one bummed-out Democrat. Uh, that's not going to be a, a real happy, upbeat <laughs> interview. But he's been such a strong advocate on, for Hillary. I mean, I saw her on, on cable a lot. Obviously, they, the campaign spotted him as somebody who was a, a really articulate guy. I'm curious as to whether he's going to you know, place any blame on Hillary at all, or is it going to be kind of like that conference call she had the other day with her big donors? You know, it's all James Comey's fault. Well, you know, he has other things to worry about, frankly, because uh, his boss, Nancy Pelosi, may not be minority leader after, after Thanksgiving, because there's plenty of Democrats, particularly those in some of those red states, that are very concerned about, frankly, a San Francisco Californian, uh, leading the party and being the the face of the Democratic Party, and now that the the, the party, frankly, is is vacant leadership now that the president's about to leave, uh, so he has to worry about his position as head of the Democratic Caucus. And there have been suggestions that he would run for the uh, Democratic National Committee chairmanship or possibly for governor. You know, mm-hmm. he's the, he's he's, a, he's still a rising bright uh, rising star in the party, uh, bright guy, but he's aligned. With Nancy Pelosi, we'll see how that uh, that helps him or hurts him. Now, Conan, your reference to the face of the party—that wasn't a plastic surgery joke. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm just trying to get at the motivation. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I heard this fellow. I think Tim Ryan is his name, a congressman uh, from Ohio uh, for the Democrats, uh, talking the other day on the radio. This Today? guy, oh yeah, he sounded amazing, uh, super articulate, really just got to the heart of the matter, and he's the guy that stepped up to the plate, I guess, Conan, who's challenging her, and over the next. Two weeks, you know, she's been saying, "Well, two thirds of the caucus is for me." But uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting Thanksgiving holiday because he's he's trying to depose the queen. Yes, and keep in mind that one of the things that Democrats have an issue with, and they have them in California, is with the old guard moving on. I mean, you have uh, Barbara Boxer who is moving on in her seventies, Diane Feinstein in her seventies, the governor of California Jerry Brown in his seventies. The chair of the state Democratic Party, John Burton, in his 70s, Nancy Pelosi in, this, in her 70s, and you have these young Turks that want to move up. They want to, and uh, I think there's a feeling, especially after they were set up to uh, to win the Senate and gain serious seats in the House, that was the 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 order of the day. They were believing that, by the way, up until the first polls closing in Florida on election night, and for that all not to happen. Uh, yes, they got to take a serious look as to the message they gave Middle America, and they're not sure if Nancy Pelosi is the kind of person to deliver that message. We're talking with Conan Nolan, NBC4 chief political reporter. Do you think Trump is setting up some ugly clashes with his picks? I mean, okay, National Security Advisor General Flynn. Apparently there's some uh, anti-Semitic remarks in his background. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, he's got these alleged racist remarks from the 80s. And Counselor Steve Bannon, obviously, everybody's been talking about homophobic remarks and so on. Uh, you, You think Trump is really buying himself some fights early on? Well, keep in mind that for a couple of those, he won't have a fight. I mean, the National Security Advisor doesn't need uh, doesn't need Senate approval. That's true. That's true. Um, but uh, but yeah, with Sessions, that'll be interesting because he's already been rejected once before uh, when he was a nominee, uh, I, I believe, by Reagan for the federal court. Yeah, and we were uh, reading it was the Republican senators who actually failed to back him. Correct. Uh, now the argument the argument now though is that in two in the next the the, the next. Uh, uh, cycle that is 2018. There are going to be a, lots of Senate Democrats are going to have their seats up, and a few in some states that Donald Trump won. So I think some of the Republicans are going to lord that over them. That listen, you want to, 
you want to start opposing Donald Trump's uh, appointees, well, he's, uh, what was one of them said the other day, he's got a plane and he knows how to fly to some of these states. <laughs> right. Uh, so, um, so, but yeah, I mean, I think Sessions is going to be a tough pick. He's, from what I'm told, uh, the people that I know on the Hill, he's very well liked by both parties because he's a, he's a throwback. He's right out of central casting. Mm-hmm. Deep southern Alabama drawl, very, very charming. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's got, you know, he made a comment, I believe, where he said something about, uh, I used to hate, the, you know, I never had a problem with the KKK until I found out they smoked um, marijuana, something right, like that. Right. Yes. That's when he was state attorney general in Alabama. That's going to come back. There's no question about it. But I think the Democrats are going to try to figure out exactly, you know, they, they can't fight every pick. So which ones do you go at? Which is your priority? And they're just waiting to see what else comes down their way. You know, it's funny uh, in terms of some of these other high-profile guys. The New York Times was suggesting the other day maybe the bromance between Giuliani and Trump uh, has soured a little bit because, I mean, it seemed like Giuliani was getting a little too big for his britches, going around saying, I'm not going to be attorney general and having these strong opinions about, about people getting jobs. Do you think maybe Trump thought he was being upstaged by Giuliani? You never know. Uh, you know, remember the Bill Bratton-Rudy Giuliani conflict when uh, Bratton yes. was in New York? Mm-hmm. That kind of gives you a template there. Yes, there's some... You, you, you have to have a hefty ego in, in that line of work, but you don't want to have one that's bigger than the guy who's doing the appointments. Um, and I do... You just kind of get a little... Uh, uh, just the sense, uh, Royal, as you said, that he's been out there a little too much. He's been saying just a little too much. I don't think they liked it when he had gone on Fox, and uh, apparently he had been leaked that uh, James Comey was going to reopen the investigation, and he talked about how, oh, there's going to be a big bombshell. He just doesn't keep his mouth shut. I, mm-hmm. I get that impression that uh, they may see him as a loose cannon. We're talking with Conan Nolan, uh, NBC4 chief political reporter, and he's host of news conference every Sunday at 9 a.m. on NBC4. What about the Trump family members, Conan? What's your take on that? I mean, they're, they're clearly going to be insiders. They may not have formal jobs. The, the kids apparently want to stay at Trump Tower and, you know, mind the store. Have uh, you heard about nepotism being an issue in terms of, of them being involved in the administration and, and conflicts of interest in terms of what they had to do about the Trump business enterprises? You know, I, 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 well, the impression everybody gets, or at least you know, many of the people I've talked to who've, who've been hanging out at Trump Tower, uh, and we were there you know, just the other day, these are, they, they have served him well. They served him well throughout the campaign. They actually... Um, know uh, Donald Trump's best interests sometimes better than Donald Trump does. Uh, so I think for a lot of the people within the inner circle that have seen Ivanka and the others uh, operate, they actually feel better about, uh, about their, them being as close as they are to, their, uh, to the dad and the father-in-law. Hmm. Um, there's no question, though, that a guy like Jared Kirshner has the ear of the throne. Uh, in a way that nobody else seems to. Right. Uh, and and he's you know uh, uh, you know you keep your eye on him. I'm not sure what kind of job he'll get. He might not get a job. Uh, you don't have to you don't have to be employed by the federal government to advise the president. But uh, but it's astonishing. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it the, since uh, since the Kennedys. You know, and remember JFK appointed his brother attorney general at mm-hmm. the behest apparently of his father uh, pop kennedy and and this was that was a close-knit family well this is a this is a you know a, a a family that is 
very, very, very much uh, wrapped around the loyalty to this one man, and they seem to be very bright. You know, so far they've done a pretty good job, I must say. We were talking about Giuliani a minute ago, and he was uh, making a comment recently about uh, the idea of putting all the Trump business interests into a blind trust, the way President Carter and, and Bush and Clinton did. Uh, and he, and he was saying, well. They can't do that, because if it goes into a blind trust, that means a stranger, by definition, has to get involved now and run it, and, and Trump would just get a check later on. Right. And Giuliani said the kids would be out of a job, and so you, you can't put it in a blind trust. I, I wonder if that's... Uh, it, but I think you they have like it's a, to, It could be a conflict of interest and scandal in the making, because he's got so many business tentacles, and how in the world are, are actions by the Trump administration not going to be seen as, in one way or the other, helping the Trump organization unless they somehow totally you know, just sell it off or put it in the trust? Keep this in mind. Not only is this the first president in the history of the republic who has no political background, or service in political office before attaining this position. Or, or military. Was a, or was a general. Yeah. Um, and it's also the first time we've ever had somebody with a kind of uh, business ties globally. This is the first true uh, globalist president. Uh, although he got elected in an anti-globalism platform, uh, this is a guy who's got his uh, fingers in, in countries around the world. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how they, I do not know how they extract themselves from that, but I completely agree. You know, Democrats are looking for avenues, and that is one avenue that they're looking at down the road to see what they can get them on. And another manifestation of Trump's involvement in the business world is the 75 lawsuits that are pending. No <laughs> president has ever had anything close to 75 pending lawsuits as he enters the office, and, and we know that the First one coming up, November 28, is supposed to go to trial in San Diego before that federal judge, the so-called Mexican, who actually was born in Indiana, uh, on this, the idea that Trump University was a scam. And I guess we haven't uh, heard yet, Conan, whether the judge is going to push that off until after the inauguration or not. Good question, and it also, uh, you know, we wonder what his approach will be. I mean, there was one approach when it was hurting him as a candidate. Now that's not the issue. But what does he say about him now? And what are the chances of him being uh, called to the stand uh, and deposed in some of these other cases? I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of distractions out there, that's for sure, for this president. But yep. it's, it's interesting. You know, you're right. He's, uh, he's taken a very different turn and approach since getting elected. A lot of people appreciate that. Uh, but there are some of these things that it, it is completely uncharted territory for a, for a chief executive as well as for the, the rest of the country. Well, folks, if you want to hear more from Conan, you're just going to have to tune in Sunday mornings, <laughs> 9 a.m., NBC4 News Conference. Conan Nolan, thank you so much for sharing part of your Friday with us. We'll be in touch. The pleasure's all mine. Take care, Conan. 924 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, we actually are going to uh, solve a mystery. There was a DUI recently and has a, has a Trump connection. There was actually a, the causation for the DUI was Donald Trump, at least uh, according to the defendant. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for Bill Thomas, who's got the update on the traffic. Bill.